1: That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Hey mamas, welcome back to Not Your Mother's podcast. Today we have a special episode. It is just me, Sonnet, without Veronica, and I terribly miss her. But she's in New York doing an amazing conference there and then also spending a little time by herself in the city. This is her first time away from the kids, and I know it's been challenging but also really rewarding. And so for me, it's also challenging to have her not here and I miss her terribly. But today we're having a conversation with two early childhood development experts, Brianna Kappa. you all know, we love her, licensed marriage family therapist, infant mental health specialist, and Alyssa Blask Campbell. She is the CEO of Seed and Sow, and she's also the host of the podcast Voices of Our Village. These women today are talking about self-regulation and emotional processing, not just for our children, but for ourselves in the moment that we're feeling triggered, that we're feeling challenged, that we're having hurdles with our children's behavior, with our outside behavior, outside things coming at us. And it's just a really deep, incredible conversation. I think you guys are going to find so many seeds of wisdom that these women share, and I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Raising Children You Like. Did you know that 70% of parents say that discipline is the hardest part of parenting? Who can relate to that? Hands up over here. It's because we're using old methods that just don't work, the ones that we were taught as kids, and somewhere along the line, we all learned that discipline meant punishment and it means fear, and it really, quite frankly, does more harm than good. What if there's another way? What if there's a way that discipline means teaching and it means showing your child and guiding them in a supportive way to help them understand how to behave in a way that you actually get results? Well, there is. It's called Discipline Without Yelling, and it's our newest course over at Raising Children You Like. So if you're ready to learn how to discipline your child in a supportive, healthy, compassionate way without yelling, without shaming, without timeouts, go to RaisingChildrenYouLike.com forward slash discipline. The course is taught by licensed marriage family therapist and parenting guru, Brianna Kappa. It has been life-changing for me and my daughter and our whole family dynamic. We know that you are going to enjoy this course. So check it out, see if it's a fit for you. RaisingChildrenYouLike.com forward slash discipline. We're not experts, we're moms just like you. We did the research, we read the books, we joined the clubs, and the more we learned about motherhood, the more we realized how many things aren't talked about publicly. This podcast is for you if you're looking for
1: answers to match your experience, you ever feel frustrated with mom life and feel like you're doing it wrong, you're looking for your mama tribe that gets you, you feel misunderstood and overwhelmed with people's opinions, or maybe you just want a better understanding of what the heck is going on bottom line is you're
2: not alone. We also know that there's so much information on the internet and it can be overwhelming when you're searching for answers. So we've sought some of the best experts in their field to give you actionable soundbites, insight and support that you can immediately implement into your life. We're here to do it together. Let's get dirty and real and raw. Let's talk about it all. My name is Sonnet. And I'm Veronica. And welcome to Not Your Mother's Podcast. Hey, mamas. Welcome back to Not Your Mother's Podcast. Today, we have such a treat. We are talking to two powerful women who are experts in their early childhood development and have amazing brains and souls and hearts. Alyssa Blask Campbell. She is the founder of Seed and Sow. and she's also the host of the amazing podcast, Voices of Your Village, and Brianna Kappa, our licensed marriage family therapist and mental health specialist from South Bay Mommy and Me. You guys are probably familiar with her. We're bringing her on today because we're having some real conversations that so many moms are talking about that they need some support around self-regulation and emotional processing, both for yourself and for your children. What is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? These two women are here to shed some light on it for us. So before we go any further, can you two tell me a little bit about who you are, how you got here, your background, and what you do outside of this podcast.
0: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go first. I'm Alyssa. Since you're going to hear us by voice, I'll identify myself. I have a master's in early childhood and had the privilege of co-creating the collaborative emotion processing method. We call it the SET method. So, you know, I'll have to word vomit that every time you say it. And we researched it across the U.S. and wrote a book that we're shopping to publishers now. And after doing this research, it's really collaborative emotion processing. It's really all about emotion processing. But in creating it, it has five components and only one is about kiddos, adult-child interactions. The other four are about us. So talk a lot about self regulation, a lot about self care, our own biases and social programming, all that jazz. And yeah, now, as you said, I run Seed and Sew where I could just serve folks with tools to do this around the world.
1: Fabulous. Wow. Wow. And Brianna? Yeah. So I'm Brianna Kappa, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist over here in California. And I'm endorsed as an infant family early childhood mental health specialist. (laughs) I work exclusively with infants and toddlers and kindergartners and new moms and families under five. They might present with a variety of different mental health related issues, but then I also do parenting consultations, helping parents learn how to reparent themselves so they can show up for their child in the way that they're really desiring to. I also lead infant and toddler groups that happen once a week. It's an incredible community, South Bay Mommy and Me, over here in Redondo Beach. And I am super obsessed and really honored to be a part of this work. This is really life-changing work. It's things that I feel like I was starting to do even long before I became a mom myself. And my own challenges and you know, the family dynamics growing up for me and my relationship with my mother being so complicated is really what led me to doing this work and helping moms and their children deeply connect. So that's what really drives me and brings me here to this space. And I'm so glad that we're talking about self-regulation because really it's all about our ability to regulate through the very typical ups and downs of raising kids. Because if you have a child, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard to have a kiddo and learning how to be present with it, notice what's going on for yourself and still keep showing up. That's part of the process. So I'm glad we're talking about it.
2: Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about it. I have to just say like, I am in awe of both of you. I'm like a little bit nervous to talk to you both because you both know so much and I want to know it all. And I want to be like, the best parent that I can be, but also you guys are so brilliant. So I just want to say that out loud so that I can move forward. (laughs) (laughs) And Veronica's not here with me today. So I'm like, oh my God, these women are amazing. And you're just speaking the language. So are you though. You are amazing. Thank you. You guys really both speak the language that we're so many of us moms and parents in the world are looking for to relate to. I think just starting at the basics. Like we talk about self-regulation as being so important. And I feel like you don't really even understand what self-regulation is until you're a parent and you're trying to regulate your child. And then you're like, oh, well, wait a second. I guess I have to regulate myself because I want my child to regulate. So can you give me some basics on what self-regulation is? So if you haven't even gone down that road yet and you're just kind of learning about it right now. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I want to back up for a second and just say that before we can regulate, self-awareness has to come into play. Mm. That if you're not, it's like trying to fix something that you don't know about, right? Like we mm-hmm. have awareness of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing before we can regulate it. So for us, our goal here is to help folks start to learn like, ooh, that feels funny, or I'm having a reaction, I'm feeling tight in my chest, or I'm feeling my shoulder up to my ears, and starting to build that awareness of like, feeling it in your body before you're blowing before you're at like an eight, nine or a 10, starting to learn, Oh, I'm starting to feel something, you can feel that rush of cortisol, that rush of feeling and emotion throughout your body. Mm-hmm. Before we then are able to, what we say, find our calm which is regulate your body, regulate your central nervous system. Your brain is designed when you start to produce cortisol to go into that fight, flight, or freeze that we'll often hear about where your amygdala is in control and it's your feelings brain and your prefrontal cortex, your like rational thinking brain shuts down. And our goal is to find that calm so that we can open up our full brain again and get to operate from a different space. And so with our work, what we're trying to do is instead of jump from like, let's just try and solve this problem, which is often we would love to do, Mm -hmm. so that it goes away, to be able to get cozy with feeling that feeling and holding space for yourself to feel it so that you can regulate and find your calm in order to support the tiny human in doing that as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, really insightful. And you know, I think I would also add this this idea of awareness also means no judgment for how we are reacting and responding to whatever is triggering or challenging for us in the moment. And so when I'm talking about regulation and giving some basic education around what does regulation actually mean, I like to reference the work of Dr. Connie Lillis who talks about the four zones of regulation. So she talks about the green zone, which is kind of like that ideal state. You know, heart rate is at a normal pace, pulse is at a normal pace, breathing feels pretty comfortable, it's not too pressured, eyes feel pretty relaxed, the hands are held, you know, close to center of the body or maybe just kind of slightly down to the side of the body. Toes and toes aren't clenching up, hands aren't clenching up, body is just feeling pretty, pretty solid and stable. And then we have the three other zones that are more dysregulated zones. So we've got that red zone, which sounds exactly or looks exactly as it sounds. So that's my angry zone. And usually when I have that, my jaw is getting tense and my eyes are getting really sharp and my brow might even start to burrow. And I might even like talk with like a clenched jaw and my voice might start to get loud i might i might actually try to even start growing my body so we'll even see like when babies or young children are in their red zone their arms start to kind of flail out to the side we might even like assume like a posturing kind of position cuz we cuz our body is feeling like it's going to need to fight that's what the red zone is all about it's like i've got to put the gas to put the gas pedal on and i got to really like i got to do something right now cuz there's a really serious threat in front of me the blue zone is the complete opposite. So, the, so if, if the red zone is I'm putting on the, the gas, the blue zone is let me put on those brakes and let me go to full stop. And so what we tend to see there is actually a full nervous system shutdown. Oh. Some folks will do what we call dissociation. So they will actually go into a whole other mental state in that moment where maybe they're thinking about something else. This is a pretty common response. If someone has a history of unprocessed trauma, they might go into this dissociative state. The eyes might, might get glassy. You know, you might be able to see right through that person. They might look like they're kind of stuck in their own world, if you will. The, the middle zone, the combo zone, she calls it, but I call it the purple zone. Now, this is going to be our more anxious. This is where our body is actually going to feel kind of stuck. Do I, do I flee right now? Do I freeze right now? Do I, do I fight right now? I'm not really sure what to do, and so we tend to see a lot of anxiety in this zone. The eyes get really big because they're fl- they're they're we're feeling very flooded emotionally, and I'm trying to take in as much information as possible from a young child's perspective. If they see a parent in an in a purple zone or a combo zone, that parent looks like they're afraid, and so that might be very triggering triggering to the young child to see a parent who's afraid of them, right? Because children are are not they 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 don't know how to think abstractly, so they think, oh my gosh, what am I doing? That's so scary to my parents. I'm mm. I'm scary. So I think this is why, and I love the way that Alyssa put it. Awareness is really key, and and when we're kind of taking in these markers, we'll start to realize, oh, I didn't notice that when I'm stressed out, my eyes get really big and wide, mm. and my body kind of freezes. Or I, for me, Brianna. I go up on my tiptoes when I start to get stressed out because I like to go into that red zone and th- my tiptoes make me look bigger than I actually am.
2: It's so, so interesting to be able to put markers to it. And for me, it brings up just like different people that you know and you've had experiences with when, they're, when they are challenged, stress triggered, how they respond and how we learn this from our parents. You know, it's like, oh, well, my mom that's how she responded when she was stressed out so then you learn how to process through that and so we're sitting here talking about how to become aware of that so that we're teaching our children other ways to process and also managing our own responses to them so that they have the ability to feel safe and supported in all of this and it's just uh, there's so it, it's just so layered in how where these triggers come from yeah. you know it's not just all of a sudden and then you become a parent and your child's triggering you it's just that now your child's triggering you and you were triggered before by other things mm-hmm. and now you have to actually deal with it yeah. because you're passing it on to a child and this child needs tools that you, you, you'll have to find for yourself so you can give to them. hundred percent.
0: I think one of the cool things too about this is that it's work that when we do it has like good end, like process, progress. So one of my right. favorite, it reminded me of this kiddo from our research who was one of my favorite kiddos. He was four years old and he was often like aggressive in class. He was hitting a lot. Like teachers had like noted that he was aggressive in class. He was like their child that they always had to make sure they were keeping an eye on. And as we're going through this, one of the things that we were doing to support this kiddo was building that awareness. And we would just say like, oh man, I can see that your face is so tight and your arms are up to your shoulders are up to your ears and your fists are clenched. Oh man, you look so angry. And we would identify for him what we were seeing and then connect that emotion. And as we went on, like in the months to come, he ended up starting to say like, oh, my fists are so tight. My shoulders are up to my ears and I'm so angry. Yeah. And it was so cool, right? Like that gave him time to like build that awareness. Like, oh, I'm feeling angry before I hit somebody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes
1: that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary.
2: Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: And can you imagine if we were taught that as children? As we were taught that as
1: children. Yes.
2: I mean, some people were, but I mean, I, this is all new information for me, you know, I just, it's,
1: yeah, well, it's bringing it and it's bringing this information into our conscious awareness. None of this information is new. I mean, we have been talking about this, there's this, this information has been researched for decades upon decades is that we're finally building a, a community of parents who are more consciously wanting to raise their children. And part of that is noticing how you are being impacted in the moment with your child. It's way easier to like reflect on it after the fact. And I think that's really good to reflect on it after the fact. But the but I think the real art of self-regulation is learning how to do it in the moment. And that is really, truly a process. And it takes time and a lot of grace and a lot of mistakes to really get to a place where you feel fairly comfortable in learning how to regulate in the moment with your, with your child. Alyssa, when you were sharing that story, it made me think of a new family who I'm working with and how they were kind of like the picture perfect family when, when they were playing together. Man, they played so well together. They, they were so engaged with one another. The child was extremely talkative. They had shared so much joy and so much, so much love. I was like, "Wow, I don't even know why they're in therapy. Like, this is a this family has a lot of really great skills." And then in the end, when cleanup happened, is when I realized, "Oh, I see why we're here. This makes a lot of sense." Because the moment the child resisted cleanup, I saw Dad shoot into his red zone he his voice you know we we are not doing this you know we got to go come on let's do let's go so no so wow. not noticing that he was actually getting big and a little scary and mom went right into her blue zone she became so she was so frozen that i had to check in with her and said hey mom where are you at right now and she kind of without even making eye contact with me looked at me and said i'm really stressed and i said yeah i can see that you your body looks really stressed and what what do what do you guys imagine i saw in that child what do you think Oh, fear. Yeah, all the fear. The big purple zone. It was all purple zone. So tons of fear and anxiety, and he was completely flooded by his emotions. And at this point, it was so high that there was no... We, we were we were—we were past the point of redirection and trying to get through to him. At this point, you just had to ride the wave until he got himself down to a more regulated place, and then we could all reconnect as a family. And leave, leave the office, I mean, but it happened like that at the very end of the session. And just wow. think, wow, well, you know, if we can as parents start to recognize, hmm, this is the effect that my child is having on me, I don't need to be put, be putting my attention on my kid right now. My, my kid is not the hungriest one in this moment. I need to feed myself. I need to bring myself here. I can still have all my feelings. I can still be stressed. I can still be mad or embarrassed or confused, or whatever emotion I'm having. But can I be grounded while I have that experience? Can I be in my body? Can I be present in my body while I have that experience? And I think that is, you know, an important part of this self-regulation conversation.
2: Well, what does that look like? Because I think two points are very important. You're allowed to have those emotions, just like your child's allowed to have their emotions. Because we think like, oh my gosh, I just need to be calm. I need to get okay with what's happening right now. I need to shut down my emotions. So it's not about that. But then what does it look like to regulate even though you're having all those emotions?
1: Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, it's taking my hands inward and feeling my stomach and feeling my stomach actually going up and down, reminding me that I'm breathing. Sometimes I'll even put my hand on my heart and see, can I try to slow my heart rate a little bit? So just that kind of attunement and awareness really helps slow my body down in the the moment. And also, as Alyssa was kind of pointing to, our bodies kind of start and then our brain catches up a couple seconds later. So if I am attuning and noticing, oh my gosh, okay, my feet need to go back on the ground or I'm disconnected, I need to bring myself here to this present space, and I feel my breath and maybe notice what my surroundings are, connect with something less triggering for me in the moment. My, my brain will eventually catch up and say, okay, this is not a threatening environment. This environment is not, you do not need to fight this environment. You do not need to flee. You do not need to freeze in this environment because our brains are kind of trained to always be fighting off a tiger. There's like, our brains think that there's always a tiger in front of us, but our children are not tigers. They're not going to harm us or hurt us. So really, that's, it's like a mental exercise of retraining the brain. But I like to start with that somatic space of starting with the body and getting the body present.
0: Yeah, well, I actually think to what you were just saying, of like, it's all, there's always a tiger. Um, I think Inside Out, the movie, does an awesome job of depicting, Aww. actually, with like mm-hmm. fear, fear's always there. And it's popping in to say like, Oh my gosh you're going to die and then she steps over like a cord as she's walking right like but she could have tripped and fallen down but it, it it's fear's job to say I need to keep you safe. And so a huge part of this is starting to get cozy with like oh thanks fear like I know that you're here trying to keep me safe. Got you babe. It's not a tiger. This is a cord I'm going to step over or this is my child throwing their body on the floor of aisle four. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's really key for us to just note and, and be mindful of is that co-regulation is a huge part of this, that our body, if if that tiny human is throwing their body on the ground in aisle four and they have cortisol rushing through their body, your body's designed to mirror that. It's called mirror neurons. And so being mindful and aware of that in the same way that when you hear like that delicious baby laugh, it like fills you with oxytocin and it's contagious, that fear part or the, uh, the cortisol piece is also contagious. And like you are going to mirror that. And then it's your job to be mindful, of, like, ooh, I know that like that's happening and I can find my calm so that they can mirror my calm, rather than the other way around if they need to get calm so that I can feel calm. I think for me personally, like the taps on my chest are really helpful. And I will like squeeze into my hands and I can I Mm -hmm. my nails are just like a little bit long. And like that feeling is just like grounding for me. It's like, all right, you're here. You can relax like you can find your calm and breathe. We Have a whole list of coping strategies versus coping mechanisms within the set method. Mm. Mechanisms being things that numb our feelings because we don't want to feel them. And strategies being what helps us process, which usually takes a little bit longer than a mechanism. So it's easier to be like, I'm going to run to a mechanism. I've done it for a long time in a lot of ways, and we all have to turn to. Yeah. Versus tapping into a strategy. And so for me, like breathing is an accessible strategy that I can. Tap into from anywhere that helps me regulate. But one that I have to be really mindful of is not just like pulling out my phone to feel better for a moment, which really doesn't help process that cortisol, but gives me a temporary feeling of relief.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So, what does that look like when you're talking with your child? Then, you know, it's like, so you're trying to not just feel better, but you're trying to process your emotion while also being present for their emotions. So, what? It, it's one thing to like, okay, I'm breathing, I'm tapping, I'm, I've regulated, but now, how do I respond from this place in a way that supports my child?
0: Yeah, I think coming back at the beginning where we we're talking about like wanting to solve that problem. So we have five phases of emotion processing, and the last one is problem solving or conflict resolution. The first is allowing yourself to feel and/or your child, and this would apply to anybody. And then recognizing what they're feeling or what you're feeling, and then security within it. Are we safe to feel it here? And then, fourth is the coping, and the last is problem solving. But what we were often finding was that folks would be able to hold that space and say, like, you could feel for a minute and maybe even recognize, like, you're really sad that this is happening, and then try and solve the problem. Yeah. You're skipping over that space. And I think part of this is really getting cozy again with the. It's okay to feel and it's okay if they're feeling. I think so many of us grew up in a space where it wasn't okay to feel in public or it was okay to feel certain things in public. And so maybe having a tantrum at home, you might have a different reaction than when a kid's having a tantrum in aisle four and being able to be mindful of that for yourself. But giving yourself the space of like, I'm going to, as long as their body is safe, they're not hurting themselves or themselves or anybody else. And then I'm going to pause and breathe, and then respond. There is this knee jerk like I need to react to make it stop. But sometimes we can survey the land and be like, as long as they're not hurting somebody or themselves, I can find my calm and then respond to them with intention.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it reminds me of, of a moment that I had with Mateo just this past weekend, where I had this wonderful morning planned. We're gonna get up, and we had to go to my other office and clean. And he loves cleaning, but he also gets to play in the playroom while I clean. And then we were gonna take a nice walk to good stuff and eat some breakfast. And then we would walk back and get in the car and drive to the to the beach and go to the park, and then come home and have lunch. And I had this whole plan that it was just gonna be this wonderful, <laughs> perfect uh, mommy mommy son date and. It it started off okay, and then it it turned into a hot mess on the way home from Good Stuff to the car, and what would typically be a five minute walk was turning into a forty five minute walk. Oh no! And he literally needed to stop. Yeah, he literally needed to stop and smell every single flower on the way from Good Stuff to my office. And at first, I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, we're gonna." Stop and smell the the flowers. That's no problem. And then, fifteen minutes goes by, and I'm like, okay, how, how much longer are we gonna stop and smell these flowers? And I could start to really sense myself, right? Like, oh, okay, I'm my agenda is competing with my child's agenda. I'm really, I'm really struggling with this right now. I really just want to get to the car. I want to stay on schedule. You know, I'm sure every mother out there can look can totally feel this. Yeah. So I'm like feeling that pressure, and and finally. I said to him, okay, Mateo, this is the last flower that we're gonna smell. And then we're gonna walk to the car. And he, of course, had a massive meltdown. Yelling, screaming, throwing himself down on the ground, kicking, kicking and wailing. I mean, and just it was really tough. I really was feeling I was feeling embarrassed in the moment. I was feeling like, oh my God, I need to get a hold of my kid, you know? is this worth it? Like, do we really have to go to the park right now? So I'm doubting everything and questioning everything. And it was really like quite a bit. And I noticed that in myself right away. I noticed I was feeling pretty tense and pretty anxious. And so I said, well, you know, right now there's not much that I can do. So let's keep walking. And so I said, Mateo, we are going to keep walking. Here's my hand. You can hold my hand and we can walk or I can pick you up. And he said, walk. And so I held his hand and we walked and he screamed and cried the entire walk. It was literally the most classic picture of of a toddler I think you ever could have ever seen. But the whole time I was focusing on walking and breathing and knowing that at this moment, I do not have control over my child's emotions. And, you know, let's even generalize that. We don't ever have control over our child's emotions. So, to your question, you know, like, how do we help get our child calm? It's not really up to us so much to get our child calm. That's our child's job is to get themselves calm. It's up to us to be willing to get ourselves regulated enough and be present for what it is that they are going through. Even if that means that, you know, I've stopped, I've I have acknowledged the emotions. That's not really doing much. It is what it is, but I'm still going to usher my child along to where we need to go. And that's just going to be part of this learning process. When I got him into the car seat, I talked to him about what happened and I processed it with him right away. And then he shared with me that he really just wanted to keep smelling the flowers. And I let him know, okay, baby, we're going to have more flowers to smell at the park. And that's exactly what we did. We went to the park and he ran and smelled some beautiful flowers there. But I think taking the time to really process with our children after the fact is also an important key. So it isn't so much like a problem that needs to be fixed, but more or less something that needs space to be had and then an opportunity to process and make sense of what that experience was like for our child. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the
0: hard part is like the timeline piece for a lot of folks, right? Like we had a little girl, a mom reached out. She's like, okay, I've like done this. I'm holding space. And she, my little girl's yelling, no calm mama. And we were like, great. She's not ready for coping. She's, she's still in a space of feeling and being able to, have and she was like, I, Mom was like, I'm all done with her feeling. right Like I'm ready to <laughs> move on. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, Of course you are. Like it is so hard. And I, I think actually, specifically, a lot of folks that come to us are from the respectful parenting community. I'm going to put that in quotes. And a lot of folks come to us saying, like, Cool. I don't. I don't you know, have the patience for this right? That I can't like hold all this space. And I think there also needs to be space for folks to say, I'm going to, if I'm in a space to do so, take space to stay regulated and come back, that it's not always beneficial for you to be right next to that human. In fact, depending on their sensory regulation, it might not even be beneficial for them if you're sitting right next to them. But if you're spiking and you're dysregulated because you're over this timeline, That You can also, as long as they're safe, take space to like, I'm going to calm myself and then come back and let them know, I'm going to go into the bathroom for a second and I'll be right back. Even if they're still screaming through it, like go ahead and regulate and come back. That it's okay if you are sitting right there waiting this entire time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that you just really, both of you just as a mom, not an expert here, like spinning it for me where my mind's just like, oh, like it's not my job to calm my child. I mean, not that I haven't heard that before, but just to understand that the timeline is slower because it's like I'm not doing anything wrong because I can't get them to calm down faster. You know, it's like, oh, well, I've told them that I see what they're going through and I'm trying to regulate myself and they're still having a moment. And then I feel bad going to take a moment for myself. I feel like I'm deserting them. While they're having their breakdown and they need me right there to support them. I'm supposed to be supporting their emotions. So all of this that you both just brought to light and walking us through your day with Mateo, Brianna, I think is so helpful for just like everyday moms to understand that like this is just this is how a toddler is experiencing the world. And it is challenging to our agendas and it is challenging because we're like, okay, I can handle it for five minutes, but 45 minutes is really hard. And I I just, to me, it really helped hear that it's not my job necessarily to make my daughter feel better right now. She's processing her emotions. My job is to hold space for that. And it can probably take some time. And so if I can't handle holding that space I have to take care of myself and that's okay. And I'm not doing her any harm in doing that.
1: Absolutely. I I just also want to add to kind of speak to what Alyssa was sharing, this idea that like some communities ask parents to stop everything that they're doing for, for their child's big emotions for however long that their child's big emotions last. I'm so sorry to say, but that's just not practical. And I don't know if... I I'm, I'm I'm unsure exactly what lesson is being shared in that kind of environment. I think it is very helpful and useful to make time make some time and make some space for these emotions and especially if you have a child under 5 that should be in your schedule, right? Like your schedule should not be so extremely tight that you can't have time for a little bit of a meltdown or some resistance or wanting to kind of go off and explore before coming back to whatever routine it is that you have set. But helping a young child learn to keep moving through I think is a really important part of a young child's development. How else are they going to learn that feelings don't last forever and that things do keep moving forward? And as your parent, part of my job in supporting you is we're going to keep we're going to keep moving through what is whatever it is that we need to move through today? We can certainly take it at a slower pace. We don't need to do every single thing that we maybe had planned to do. But I really want parents to feel empowered and to know that ta- you don't need to stop every single thing that you are doing in order to be enough for your child and in order to show up for your child enough. You sim- it's just unnecessary
0: yeah I also don't think it's beneficial, like you were saying brianna like i I think like we can offer our kids coping strategies when they're ready, right like that and this is where I feel like there is a gap from what I was taught as a kid to what we're doing now of uh, it was like, sure, you could feel and then like come on back when you're ready. What I think had been missing, at least for me personally was. And here's how you can help your body feel calm. Here are things that are helpful for you, like taking deep breaths or do you need to do some big jumps? Like if your body need to move, that there are coping strategies we can be teaching our kiddos so that they learn how to regulate instead of like, I'm going to have this emotion until I don't and not, then I feel calm and we'll resume. And that it's not going to happen on our timeline. That I can offer coping and they might not be ready and I can hold space for great. Here's where I'll be. If you do want help, or when you are ready, I'm going to be in the kitchen making dinner if you need a snuggle when you're ready. I,
2: I think it's really confusing for parents to because you said that our job is, you know, not to be with them, not necessarily and that it can be detrimental or, you know, just it's not the most supportive way. And yet we know, I know as a mom, you're just trying to do everything right. You're trying to be and especially now, because there's so much information. So you're like, I'm trying to be as supportive as possible. And so that must mean that I drop everything and I just am like giving everything that I have. So it's, it's, I think it's a confusing line and it's, um, totally. really, I mean, amazing that you have delineated that and given permission to be like, yeah, it's okay to not, it, you don't have to stop everything. You, your job is also to teach them how to move through it. Mhm. Which is a huge component to all of this. It's not just drop everything and then we'll, you know, the next thing will happen again and we'll do this all over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also helpful to think of it
0: as adults. Like not every, if you imagine what would be helpful for me in this moment, my husband and I are two very different humans. And if when he was upset, I stayed near him to offer coping support, (laughs) it would be like, for the love of everything holy, I need space. And it, it's not calming for him. He, it's not input that's helpful for him. And I, on the other hand, we could be like in conflict and I'm not ready to talk about it. But I'm like, but would you massage my feet? Like want to be touching and I do benefit from close contact with folks. It is regulating for me. And we, th- that we were once kids, right? And so we also, as a tiny human, he was a kid who, when his parents told him that they were getting divorced, he asked his questions and then said, okay, and took space and drew a picture. But if they had followed him in that sense, in that, in that moment, like that wouldn't have been regulating for him. He benefits from having space and processing. He's also a drummer. So he would go play music or like do what is helpful for him in regulating that often doesn't involve another human nearby.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. I'll even say something that I just remembered now, something that helped Mateo get regulated when we got into the car was music. He loves Hallelujah. He can't get over Tori Kelly killing it on her version of Hallelujah from the movie Sing. And so I played that for him and it was immediately regulating for him. And Alyssa, you're making me think about things that regulate me. So yeah, I mean, going for a walk is so regulating for me, being out in nature, singing. I love to sing, cooking. I mean, those main main four things. If I can have access to those in a moment of stress my stress kind of melts away and I feel present again. And then back to your point though, Sonnet, it's really like a a balance, I think, of making space for what challenges us, for what is challenging for our children, but also holding some kind of line that it doesn't need to derail my entire day or our entire morning experience that this does not have to define what our morning is going to be because we had a challenging moment and like anyone who's getting kids ready for school th- this this is just going to relate for, relate to them because mm-hmm. getting children ready for school is much like what I just described with my child that it's mm-hmm. like it's the exact same thing they're just a little bit older <laughs> and then you're yeah, also trying no. to get yourself ready and go to work and you're extremely stressed and busy and it's fast So it it, so that's why I say like if it's when it starts it starts young it's just these kinds of patterns are starting and we're seeing them before our kids are even two years old. Give them the tools, help them learn how to work, work through what is going on, and and really the main tools that we are talking about today are self awareness, so self or self reflection as I would call it, and self regulation. Those are two unspoken and incredibly critical fundamental parenting skills and parenting tools that just don't get enough credit for how important they are.
0: But I think you're right, Son. I think like there is this fear of like, I'm not doing enough if my kid is continuing to have hard feelings that like I am supposed to make it stop. And I think if there was like one thing I would want to be like plastered on a billboard everywhere around the world would be that it is, it's okay for your kid to have hard feelings. The goal isn't that we're stopping their hard feelings. It's that we're creating space. And a toolbox for them to navigate
2: them. Yeah. So you guys have both touched on those tools a little bit. You've given some examples. What for parents who or just to put it all in one place, like, what, you know, it's like, so how, what does that acknowledgement look like? What does it look like? What does it sound like to give them those tools in those moments for somebody who maybe doesn't, hasn't heard those before?
0: I think one of the biggest things that can we were one of the biggest places we can delineate here and what it actually sounds like is that it isn't like a script. It isn't. I'm sorry that you're feeling sad. Or my husband said to me the other day, oh, I can tell that you're feeling sad. And I'm like, oh, is it the tears going down my face? Like, cool. That's not helpful for me. What I want in this moment is compassion or empathy, right? Like, man, it's really hard to leave something when you've been working so hard on it. It's really hard to stop. Like can uh, truly connecting over what they might be feeling here, rather than r- working off of a script, I think is the the initial part. I was did like a group tiny humans, big emotions, in person group. And this parent came in, and this was like the one part she was working at. She was like, "But I don't feel mm-hmm. compassion mm-hmm. in this moment." And I was like, "Great, then pause and let's think in the moment. Like, what is she feeling? Disappointment? Great." She created in her phone she had a note section where she would write like a reminder to herself of a time where she felt disappointment or scared or sad that could trigger for her like, oh, I know that feeling. I know that feeling because we're not empathizing with why they're feeling it. That doesn't matter. We're empathizing with what they're feeling. I don't want somebody to decide whether or not I should feel sad about this. I do. I do. I feel sad. And so I want to connect and move forward through that. But she, for her, it was helpful to have like a little note of like, ooh, I remember this feeling from when I was disappointed in this moment to be able to connect with this kiddo. And then I want to offer, let them know like when you're ready to feel calm, I'll be here or here are some things that help you feel calm, depending on the kiddo and what stage they're in. I also send you, we have a free emotion coaching guide that po- talks people through this and has examples of coping mechanisms versus strategies, both adult and kid, that I can send you guys the link to for folks. Okay, yeah, that would be amazing.
1: So good. Yeah, I mean, so on point, Alyssa, Such, such great feedback. You're so right. As parents, we really like to project our personal understanding of what is going on for our children in the moment instead of seeing it from our child's Point of view. And I think when we start to attune and align ourselves to seeing the moment from our child's point of view, compassion and empathy just kind of naturally will surface, you know? If we're still struggling, if we are seeing it from our kid's point of view and we're pretty accurate and we are still struggling to feel that, okay, so now we're talking about a wound that needs addressing. And this is where therapy gets really helpful, or even just if you can't do therapy, then some kind of journaling and trying to understand, well, what was it like for me? Like like Alyssa was suggesting. What was it like for me when I was a child? What's my earliest memory of feeling whatever I imagine my child is feeling? What's my earliest memory there? How did my parents respond to my disappointment? Oftentimes what I find in my clinical experiences is that in those moments when parents are really struggling to either connect to the child's experience and or have empathy or compassion, it's because there's some shame that the parent is, whether maybe most often unconsciously living with that is so deeply, it's, it's a really dark, dark feeling shame is. And uh, you know, we walk, when we walk around feeling that, that shame, it's really, it is really hard to connect with others in the way that we really deeply desire. And what I find in my experience is that every, nearly every single parent I have ever met has a v- deep, strong desire to connect with their children and just our past histories and the traumas that we experienced, our own emotional wounds just get in the way of our ability to really connect there. So, of course, you know, I'm going to make a plug for therapy because I think all parents should be in therapy because. You're on the most healing journey of your life being a parent. Mm. And and therapy helps support you in that process. It helps you heal so that you don't project your unmet needs unconsciously onto your children.
0: I, th- I think all humans can benefit <laughs> from Sarah. I, I definitely parent, that. Of course.
1: Yes, all humans.
0: Zach and I... Zach and I joke about like, I wonder what our kids will end up in therapy for. I largely just want them to know it's an option always. Right, just for living,
2: just for moving through. I think what you both made clear, which you know again is just a little bit of a mind shift for the parent who just wants to fix the situation is not looking at why they're feeling that way, but understanding how, what they're feeling. And like Brianna, you were sharing All all the ways to connect to that and making that delineation, I feel like really clears it up for me as a parent, you know, because it's easy to be frustrated and be like, why are they upset about this? This is not a big deal. And rather than, you know, they're upset, I understand what it's like to be upset for whatever my adult experience is or my childhood experience of upset is.
1: Sure. And can I actually connect with what is making my child's so upset without adding my adult personal mm. judgment mm. onto it. But can I really connect with what is so upsetting for my kid? It really might be because I have this paper airplane that I've worked so hard to fold. And I'm saving it because I want to give it to daddy. And you took it out of my hands and you threw it on the ground. And now it's on the ground of the car. I can't even protect it. And I worked so hard for it. As a parent, we might think, okay, whatever, Like, here's another piece of paper, fold another paper airplane. But to the child, I've worked really hard on that and I was making that a special gift for daddy and now it's it's ruined. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of emotion behind that.
0: And I think the more you do this work yourself, the easier those things get in terms of connecting and finding that space. We had somebody reach out who's, she was just like, Oh my gosh, it was a block tower that got knocked down. Like it, he's throwing this big tantrum over this thing that isn't a big deal. And I was like, All right, cool. So you fold all this laundry and you get it done during nap time. And then one of your kids gets up and they come in and they knock down all your folded laundry. They worked really hard to fold and it's still clean and you can still, you can fold it again. You already folded it, you can fold it again. And she's like, But I don't want to fold it again. I was like, Great. He was working really hard on that block tower and his sibling just came in and knocked it down. Sure, he can build it again. He's disappointed because he worked really hard on that and now it got knocked down. But I think as you start to do this work and you can see like, oh man, there are so many things that for another person might seem like not a big deal, in quotes, but for me feel like a big deal, like my laundry pile being knocked down. Grand scheme of things, I can fold it again. It's still okay to feel disappointed about it. And same with these tiny humans, that some of these things might seem like not a big deal. It's still okay to have feelings about it.
2: Mm -hmm. This is such incredible work that you both ladies do and you share with moms. And I I think you both made the point, and I think it's loud and clear that our self-regulation is what... Really teaches, it's also, you know, models to them how to regulate and move through their emotions and the benefit of creating you know, the benefit of doing this work. It is deep and it's incredible that you both have such a great grasp of it and shared so much today with us. I have, I feel like I have so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're already like at our hour mark almost. And I feel like, you know, this is just something that we can continue to talk about because there's a lot of it's just not explored enough and there's a lot of confusion around it you know like we've I feel like we've brought out a few things today in terms of the awareness is being so important and what are those markers to look for as you are feeling triggered and what is your trigger like what is your work versus your child's work in having these tantrums or having these moments how do you work in that moment and then allowing for the timeline where the it's not going to be as fast as you think and, it, and it's not your job to speed it up and also like it's not your job to make it perfect and wrap it up and put a bow on it like that's not what motherhood is or this parenting journey there's just so much here and to just also bring back to the focusing on connecting to the emotion that they're having and how can we you know connect it to our emotion and have compassion in that and so so many tips so many solutions And so much here to help dive even deeper into the work that is motherhood. I wanted to talk about bringing your partner in on all of this, but I feel like that's like a whole nother thing. I don't know. We won't, maybe we just won't go into that right now unless you guys feel like that's an important key.
1: Brianna, you want to come back for round two Uh, on your partner? Yeah, we could definitely do that. But here, let me, can I just say one thing though? Yeah. Okay. So, but when it comes, when it comes to our partners, how about this how about we focus on co-regulating with our partners okay so we talk so much about self-regulation and how we need to know how to regulate so that we can co-regulate with our children but the fact of the matter is as human beings are are social animals and we are social creatures and we actually benefit so much from being a part of a village and being part of an intimate community where we are actively practicing co- the art of co-regulation together and i think you know when you have a partner who's helping you raise a child really learning how to get get calm on a physiological level together really makes big shifts and changes in how you respond to your children you may not have to have these kinds of in-depth psychological based conversations unless you have a partner who's really into that which is super duper awesome but You may not, you may not have a partner who is the type that picks up a book and wants to parent in that way. Maybe they're a person who wants to parent in in a different way. So we'll focus less on that right now. And let's focus on how do we get calm together and practice that co-regulating together so that we can make that the precedent that we are setting as a foundation for what relationships look like for our child. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, so I mean, would you have some, ways and what does that look like then to, to do that with your partner, to co-regulate when you maybe don't have those tools and you're like, well, I don't even know where to start.
1: So my favorite way is a 20 minute de-stressing conversation. And that can be every day, ideally, but I know that's not always uh, possible or realistic. If it, can, if it can be a minimum of once a week, and this is our check-in time, and this is to talk about what have been the highs of our relationship and what have been the lows, what, what's been working this week for us, and what, what have been some of the challenges. And we're really actively avoiding those four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So we're avoiding criticism, defensiveness, you know, blaming, contemptuousness, which is those t- making it seem like our partner is unworthy of our love. And then that emotional stonewall, so where I'm just completely shutting down and totally disengaging and disconnecting from my, from my partner. So we're gonna avoid those four things and instead use our I feel statements and really own our feelings and own our actions. Some, if someone says like, I was disappointed or you know, I, w- I was feeling really sad about this situation, it's not your job to fix it. It's not your job to give advice to it. It's not your job to defend yourself. It is your job to say, Wow, that's really hard. I I'm sorry to hear that. I was a part of your suffering in that moment. I really am sorry about that. And really own your crap. We have to own our stuff in our relationships. And I I be- believe believe me, this is hard work. This is this is harder than than raising children. Okay, raising kids is hard. Raising kids is real hard. But being in a relationship is like way harder. And I mean, I know for, for my husband and I, we do this very regularly, more than once a week, actually, where we have these de-stressing conversations. We put our phones away, the TV is off and we're talking about what's been working and what hasn't been working in our relationship. And we're really honest and yeah, it does make us feel more connected and bonded and it does teach us how to have these conversations together. The fact is, is that if you're not having the conversations, you're not going to know how to have the conversations. Mm. So you do need to practice having these types of conversations and discovering, well, what is it? What, what triggers me about my partner? What does that bring up for me? Where does that come from for me? And vice versa, letting your partner also share from that intimate space too. It does make a change and makes pretty dramatic shifts in how you are with your children.
0: I also want to note that it's okay if your partner isn't doing the work at the same point that you are doing the work. That We talked about how you cannot control your kids' feelings. You can't control your partner's <laughs> either. And, and it's not your job to. And I think there is so much power. I have a podcast interview on intimacy and connection, sexuality within your partnership in parenthood. I think episode 98-ish, somewhere around there. But she shared on like steps on how to connect with them, especially like when you're not on the same page, what does that look like? If you're coming to parenthood, everybody's coming with their own stuff. And maybe you're starting to do this work and you're wishing your partner was starting too, and they're not there yet. And so how what does that look like if they're responding to your kids' emotions in a way that you are learning like, oh, I don't want to respond this way anymore. And you're starting to make changes and they're not there yet. What does that look like? And how are you having conversations? And how can the way that you show up in conversation with your partner, potentially change how they
2: respond to you. And uh, yeah, mm. I think there's a lot there. We, yeah, have a whole we, 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 should. we should have a whole episode because I'm glad that we touched on this and it, it feels like there is so much there to unpack. And like, it, it starts with you, but it, then it starts how you relate to your partner and how your partner and you relate together for your child. So there's, there's just so much happening to be aware of and to hold all together at one time. And it's a practice, like you said, like you both have been talking about, like it doesn't just happen, you know, you don't just get the answers and the tools and the tips and solutions, and then you can just apply it to your life and your life is great. Like it is a practice because it's hard in a relationship with a partner. I just, I'm so grateful to both of you for really spelling it out, you know, and giving permission for it to be hard and giving some solutions and ideas around how to work through that for all of this i'm just i'm so impressed with this conversation because i feel like one of the biggest unsaids for me in motherhood was just coming to understand all the work that there is for me in it and this is such a huge part of it for us all in our journey both personally and then how it, it you know extends into our our children to our children so you know, we usually close up with mama has a minute. Veronica's not here. And so I'm just going to ask you both one question. What is your favorite form of self-care?
1: Oh, well, mine definitely is pole dancing. It has been, and it always will be. (laughs) (laughs) And singing and singing and cooking. And
2: follow Brianna so you can watch her (laughs) do all of those things. Yes.
0: They're so crazy strong <laughs> It's so cool. And it's so sexy. <laughs> uh, I Mine's like sunshine walks, like walks in the sunshine. Also hard to do in Burlington, Vermont sometimes. And dance parties. Dance parties are like our go-to coping strategy reset of like, oh, I'm feeling a lot. I'm currently into pinks. I am here. It's played a lot in this wow, house right now.
2: I love both of those. And then just so your gift that you were talking about, What we do is we host them on our website. Can you tell us a little bit more about your gift? And then I'll tell people where to find it.
0: Totally. So I'll give you the emotion coaching guide. And it'll walk you through the five phases of emotion processing and how to support and when to pause and stop supporting or to support by pausing and take space. And then a few helpful. We are getting a lot of questions about like our Instagram graphics, I guess, posts that people are like, oh, I want to like print that out. So we put a handful of them into the emotion coaching guide that might be helpful for you if you wanted to print them out and have them as reminders.
2: So to get that, go to notyourmotherspodcast.co in the search bar, put in Alyssa and Brianna, and you'll find this episode. So Brianna, can you tell us how people can get some more information from you and what solutions and tips you have to share?
1: Yes. So you can contact me directly on Instagram. South Bay, Mommy and Me is my Instagram. But then also we have this amazing online resource for for parents of toddlers, RaisingChildrenYouLike.com.
2: So, and then to contact you, Alyssa, what's the best way to be in touch?
0: Yeah, so you can follow the podcast. Uh, if you're tuning in here, you're probably a podcast listener. Voices of Your Village podcast, drop a new episode every Thursday. Brianna has been on it. You can come tune into that too. And then over at Seed and Sew, So S-E-W. Over on Instagram, we have a free Facebook group as well, seedandsew.org. It's like the mothership if you want to find all those
2: things. I think this is the longest podcast we've ever done. And it's also the most fun. (laughs) Not the most fun because Veronica wasn't here. So it's not the most fun. (laughs) But it was just a really... like I just feel like there were no wasted words. There's so much information here that I can take away as a mom. And I know so many moms can too. So thank you both so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Sonnet. Have a beautiful day. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.
2: Okay, so we had some amazing guests on the podcast today. If you want to be in touch with them, if you want further information from them, I just want to give that in a really concise way. So for Brianna Kappa, she has an online course that teaches everything from tantrum, toddler tantrum toolkit, to picky eating, to regulating yourself. And she offers a free masterclass that you can actually go and watch all about self-regulation And if you want to go to it, just go to RaisingChildrenYouLike.com forward slash masterclass. It's absolutely free. And you can learn more about three ways to stay regulated and tips and solutions. And then you can check out her courses. She has a wealth of information that she shares every single day on her Instagram at South Bay Mommy and Me. And she's also in in the Facebook group. We have a community Facebook group together. She is there moderating and sharing. So go to Not Your Mother's Podcast Facebook group on Facebook if you want more. And then you can also, if you're local, go to southbaymommyandme.com and check out her classes and you can meet her in person. And so then for Alyssa, she has a wealth of information as well. So go check out her podcast. It's incredible. I feel like Voices of Our Village is such an amazing name. She has such a grasp of what is going on for the parent and compassion for both the child and the parent and the development of both. And she's not afraid to just dig in and share it. So if you want to find her, go to seedandsew.org, Facebook, seedandsew, Instagram, seedit.and.sew. And you can check out all of her courses, all of her information, her podcast. So these women have some incredible information to share on the parenting journey make sure to follow both of them and grab that freebie as well. Both ladies here have something wonderful to share for free. If you love our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You don't know how much a review helps us and helps mamas just like you find our podcast.